pray that you come and help us this morning. We come and we believe that you can and will, and we ask that you would open our eyes that we may be, be able to see wonderful things out of your law. We ask that we would be able to hear your voice and minister to us in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Faith Baptist Church. It's great to worship with you. And I, I want to invite you, if, if you're new to faith and, and we haven't been able to get to know you yet, I hope that you can be embraced into this family and get to know this church and get to know the God of this church. And maybe you ha- are part of a church somewhere else, you've moved into this area, and we want to connect with you. If you'd fill out one of those orange cards that's in, in front of you and put that in the offering or put it in the box out here or give it one of the, the, one of the ushers, that would be great. We'd be helped by that. We're really glad you're here. I, I hope that uh, um, many of you that were part of this weekend's marriage conference. I pray that God has and will use the time of fellowship together as we think about some really important things in our calling of marriage. Several announcements I want to let you know about this this week. Some of them are new, or a few of them are new, most of them are you're familiar with, but we need you to register um, register for the ladies' conference that's going to take place June 23rd through 25th, and so there is there is opportunities, a way for you can register out here in the hallway afterwards, but they'll be coming before you know it, and so register, ladies, for that. Um, there is going to be an Easter egg kind of activity, fun time, this coming Wednesday. That's coming this Wednesday um, at 6.30 during our Wednesday gathering. So kids, I think the teens are going to help hide the eggs. Um, And so that's going to be coming this Wednesday, just so you know. But hopefully you can come. Even if Wednesday isn't something that you've normally been able to come to, please come and join us this Wednesday at 6.30. And And please come for our Wednesday gathering. We have a time of prayer and study, and we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. Hopefully you got one of these, or we'll take one of these on your way out. These are cards of invite for both our, our Thursday night service before Easter called Monday Thursday, or and our Easter service, which is coming in two weeks. And so would you take one of these, not just for you to stick on your fridge to say, oh yeah, i got to remember I go to church on Easter, but so that you invite someone else. You invite somebody else. It is often a time where someone will go, hey, I, I'm not, I usually don't go to church, but I don't know why, but I know I probably should go to church on Easter Sunday. And, and that God would use this in their lives, and, and they'll hear the gospel on that Easter Sunday. So take one of these and invite a friend, invite a coworker, a neighbor. Um, Pastor West shared with this at the beginning of the year. And I, I want to reemphasize this. There is a way to sign up to be a prayer partner for the teenagers in our church. And we, and I think that a lot of you want to do that but have forgot about it or didn't think about it, hasn't been mentioned for a while. We need you to do that. We, we don't have a lot of people signed up yet to do that, but I think that many of you want to and should do that. Would you sign up to be connected with a teen in the church where you will commit to regularly praying for that team and the, the pressures that they deal with, the challenges they deal with, and to care for them and love them both through prayer and support in other ways. And, and so sign up for that. We also need you to, to help us. Um, we had mentioned this about three weeks ago or two weeks ago. 
that we are putting together a book for the Quasarano family, for Heather and Len's parents and their siblings. We're putting together, Lindsay's actually doing the editing and taking all of our notes. We need you to, to we need more input. We need more cards, um, pictures, different things like that to go um, for this book. And so if you have kids, have them write a note about their friend, one of the kids. Have, if you have memories of Len or Heather and want to write that note, this will go, be put into a digital book, it will be scanned, and then it will be put together and published, and we're going to give it to both parents as a gift from our church to them, as a memorial to them, and they'll be able to see how their kids and grandkids meant and, and I think that would be a tremendous encouragement, a way to minister to them. And so will you do that? Will you help, help us by doing that? You can um, put notes, full sheets of paper, small sheets of paper, bring them to the church office, or contact Lindsay about that, Lindsay Crawford. That would be a big help to us. Lastly, our fighter verse. We are beginning from in Philippians chapter 2, verses, verse 5. We have three verses this week. Next week, we're going to take the next section, and over the next three weeks, we're going to, we're going to learn a section from Philippians chapter 2, many past verses in a row. Does anybody have Philippians 2, 5 through 7 memorized and like to say it? Elijah. You do? Wow. Okay. Elijah. Do you want me to start yelling? Okay. Nice and loud. Good, thank you. Thanks, Elijah. Let's, let's all read this together. Follow me. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So we're going we're gonna to go into song, and we don't sing songs just because we're supposed to do that, and this is the time that we just fill that time. We sing it because our hearts are meant to either cry out to God in desperate prayers, and you may feel that, God, I desperately need you, and you make these, pra- these songs prayers of desperation. And so prayer, these prayers are songs of saying, God, I need you, I need you, help me, God, or there are an overflow of, God, you've done this for me, and I can't help it, but I have to express what you have done, and I need to praise you. And so let's, some, but sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes we gather and we don't feel what we're singing. Sometimes we come and we don't feel what we're praying. We, we go through the motions. And it's okay sometimes to go through those motions with the, as long as we have this in mind, God, I want you to help me grow to not just go through the motions, but to truly, truly believe and understand and really love what I'm singing because it is great. So I'm going to pray that God would help me because I need it. I could get distracted just like you could be distracted. We say, God, help us to learn to love and to sing and to give praise to you. So let's pray. God, this morning we come to you. 
We come to you, all of us. All of us in need of you. Some of us know that need more than others, and I pray that everyone would come away knowing deeply that they need you, need you more than anything. They need you more than anything else in this world. We need you more than food. We need you more than sleep. We need you more than anything, that, and more than money. We need you more than any relationship or pleasure that anything that we would desire. We need you more than those things. No, God, because of all the things that are out there that are not going to last, but they're seen, our eyes and our hearts, our minds fix on those things. And God, I pray that you would cause our hearts to fix on you. God, I pray that you would help our singing, that we would sing with thankfulness in our hearts to you, I pray that you would help us in our listening, that we would sing, we would listen with an attentiveness, and that your Spirit would guide and direct us. God, this morning, as we look at the important truths that we will be raised, I pray that it would fill us with awe and hope and joy and new perspective. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at many passages this morning similar to last Sunday. We're going to ask three questions about the best that is yet to come. Last week we talked about what happens when a believer dies, and this week we're going to talk about what happens to their body, what will happen to our body. You were to look around. Just glance to your left and your right, and you look behind you. Go ahead and do it. Just look around. Now everybody's feeling awkward. I want you to think, at least as we get to the end of the sermon, through the lenses of the truth of what that person next to you will become someday. When all of the stars in our galaxy are burnt out, when age after age, thousands and millions of years are passed away, that person in front of you and beside you will go on to live forever. I'm going to ask God to help us uh, groan in a good way, groan longingly for something that God intends for all of us to hope in. And so before I pray, read with me Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Paul wrote, For we know that the whole creation, everything, has been groaning together in the pains of of childbirth until now. And remember, when childbirth, you're, there's pains, but you know that there's glory afterwards. The pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, we groan inwardly 
as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. I want to talk to you about the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are we're saved. Let me say that again. For this, in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. God, I pray that you would please help me and help us. To see and understand with spiritual understanding. God, I pray that you would encourage those that are suffering deeply right now, physically in pain, emotionally in pain. For those in this room that are wandering and do not know Jesus, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Johnny Erickson Tata is a dear woman who started a ministry called Johnny and Friends that helps handicapped people. She is a quadriplegic. She, over 45 years ago, while diving, broke her neck. And for over 45 years, she has not been able to use her hands, her legs, her arms. She has been an artist but with a paintbrush in her mouth. She's written many books. She has spoken at many conferences over the last several years. She has a new experience in her life after being married for many years. She experienced something that the doctor said she would not experience, severe pain. She is a beautiful woman who God has used to bring comfort and hope and joy. She writes books on heaven she wrote a little booklet called Hope. I recommend it. She writes at the beginning of this book, sometimes hope is hard to come by. Like the other week when I visited my friends, Gracie, my friend Gracie, Gracie Sutherland in the hospital, Gracie had been volunteer of Johnny and Friends family retreats for many years, and despite her age of 61, she's always been energetic and active with the disabled children at our camps, Johnny wrote. And all that changed a month ago when she broke her neck in a tragic accident. Gracie has always been happy and buoyant, but when I wheeled into the intensive care unit to visit her, I did not even recognize the woman lying in the hospital bed with tubes running in and out of her, a ventilator shoved down her throat, crutchfield tongs screwed into her skull. Gracie looked completely helpless. She couldn't breathe on her own, and all she could do was open and close her eyes. I sat by Gracie's hospital bed. I read scripture to her, and I sang to her, Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. I leaned as far forward as I could, and I whispered, Oh, Gracie, Gracie, remember, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. She blinked at that point, and I knew she recognized the phrase. It's a line from the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. 
The Shawshank Redemption is a story about two men, Andy Dufresne, who is unjustly convicted and sentenced to life in prison, and his friend Red. After many hard years in prison, Andy opens a path of promise for himself and Red. One day in the prison yard, he instructs Red that if he is ever freed from the Shawshank, he should go to a certain town and find a certain tree in a certain cornfield to push aside the rock to uncover a little tiny hand and to use the money in that hand to make it across the border to a little Mexican fishing village. Not long after the conversation, Andy escapes from prison and Red is paroled. He's out. Red, dutifully, dutiful friend as he is, finds the cornfield, the tree, the rock, the tin can, the money, and the letter in which Andy has written, Red, never forget, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. And at that moment, Red realizes he has two choices. Get busy living or get busy dying. Johnny writes in this book, Sadly, right now, it appears as though my friend Gracie is busy dying. She is stuck at the UCLA waiting for surgery on her neck and an infection in her body is running rampant. The doctors are trying to get her white blood cell count down, but it doesn't look promising. Now when visitors come to see her, she shuts her eyes against them. Oh, Gracie, hold on to hope. It's a good thing, maybe the best of things. We've been looking at the last several weeks. We have seen, and we are reminded, of which most of you don't need a reminder because you know it. You know it in your family. You know it in your life. You've seen it, and we've seen it in the church, in this church, because over the last, last month, we have been coldly and painfully and yet graciously because God has wrapped his arms around us, reminded of the brevity of life and the pain and suffering that takes place having lost a dear family in this church. I want, I want to better as a pastor and as an individual and as a father and as a husband, as a person that will live on this life, I don't know how many long, years longer, I want to really understand what he meant by hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. No good thing ever dies. Founded in that truth is a truth that is so great and is so real, and it is the truth of God's Word and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at the real important reality that every single person, when they die, they will go to one place or the other. They will go to heaven or they will go to hell. Those who will go to heaven are those who did not earn heaven in any way, but because Jesus earned heaven for them. That's how they got it. They, all they did was they said, I can't earn it. Jesus has to earn it. I trust he earned it for me. Jesus, take my, be my substitute. And they are believers. And that starts to change on this earth. It changes their attitude. There's his spirit actually comes in and dwells in them. And the Bible says that believers are not punished when they die, but this is the last effect of living in a fallen world. And they will immediately be left with their bodies in the grave or wherever it is, and their souls spring to heaven, and they're with the Lord, and they're with Him in pleasure and goodness, and yet they're waiting. 
And therefore, believers are not to fear death. But we do. Hebrews chapter 2 says that Jesus did something. He said we share, He shared in death with us so that He may destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. There is something about death that causes us to actually fear it and feel like it's a lifelong slavery. Okay, I'm going to die someday. I don't, I don't want to watch that funeral. I don't want to... I'll, I mean, I feel like sometimes when I watch old movies, I can't help it. I'll watch an old movie. I love old movies. I was watching a Cary Grant movie, North by Northwest, this Friday night, watching it. I can't help but go, it's just really interesting. All of those actors, almost all of them, they're dead. Life is really short. And... And it can, it can naturally make our hearts fear and dread and say, I'm not sure if I want that. Not too soon. No, I don't want death. And there is something that God has called us to not want death. But Jesus has done something in our lives. And maybe you don't have that hope yet, but you can have that hope that rescues us from the fear of death and longs for something more. What I want to do this morning in this series called The Best is Yet to Come is I want to help gird your mind or cause your mind to be so built up so you think in a whole different way as you look around this world and as you look at everyone in this room and as you think about your children and your grandchildren and your spouse about something very, very important. The hope of the believer. I want you to think about this reality, and that is the resurrection of the believer. Paul called it the redemption of our bodies, or glorification. The Bible says that for all of those that are in Jesus Christ, something is going to happen to you. Your final hope is not the fact that you're going to die and your heart, you're going to immediately, your soul is going to go to be with Jesus and that's heaven, world without end, that's it, great. You're going to be a ghost, a soul. That's not the hope of the believer. That's a good thing. It's a glorious thing. It's something we find great comfort in and encouragement that our, our the Quasarano family is with Jesus because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And your loved one, and your spouse, or your mother, your friend, is with Jesus, and we rejoice in that. But that is not the final hope. I want to talk to you about the blessed hope, the hope that lasts and forever and is a good hope. And that we hold on to it, we cling to it, and it is to impact us. And I want to talk to you about the resurrection of the believer. So I have three questions to answer about that. What does the resurrection of the believer mean? What will those bodies look like? What will our bodies be like, I should say? And why is this important? What does the believer's resurrection look like? What will our bodies be like? And why is this important? Why is this important? Why should this matter? Why would I spend a whole sermon on this? Okay, number one. What does the believer's resurrection mean? There are a lot of Christians, when they think about eternal life and of salvation and life after death, they think in terms of that when I die, I get to be with Jesus. The body isn't good. It doesn't need it. It got taken away. I'll never see a body. I won't see that body anymore. 
I'm going to be forever as a spirit with God, and I will have some blissful existence, but that's what it's going to be. And that is not the picture of Scripture. The resurrection of the believer is this. It's the promise that Jesus will someday return, and He will raise up from the dead all the bodies of all believers who have died over all history, and He will reunite their souls with their bodies that died, and He will reunite them, and He will change them into a glorious, living, resurrected body like Jesus's. This is clearly taught in many passages of Scripture, like 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Almost the whole chapter deals with this, but I'm going to read a few verses about that in a minute when I describe what those bodies are going to look like, or what those bodies are going to be like. We don't understand all they'll look like, but we have something, we have some cues here. It says here that our citizenship, church, our citizenship is in heaven in which we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus, Philippians 2, 20 and 21, who will transform our lowly bodies into His glorious body. That by the power He enables us, and He subjects all things to Himself. Or 1 Thessalonians 4 says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him who has fallen asleep. Let me stress this. We will be raised someday with Christ. Our souls will be reunited with our bodies. We will be resurrected to be like Jesus' resurrected body. There are places in Scripture, though it's not real clear, there is going to be a resurrection for those that have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a type of resurrection that they will not be raised to a glorious body, but they will be raised in some type of state so that they will receive eternal judgment. That is why it is important for you to receive the gospel if you haven't, and do it now. You don't know how much time you have. That's why we must be a church that takes the gospel and spreads it to our families and spreads it to our neighbors and spreads it to the world. That Jesus says, believe in Him. And He saves us from something horrible, a just judgment that we deserve. But I want you to just, don't miss this. We are going to be reunited with our bodies. It wasn't, at least until the late 18th century, many tombstones, especially in England and in America, had memorials inscribed in Latin on the tombstone. And it said, Resurgum. Now, most of you probably don't know, I didn't grow up learning Latin. Resurgum means... I shall arise. That's a glorious statement to put on your tombstone. I shall, I will arise again. Resurrection, we must never cease to remind ourselves. We we need to know this. Did not mean going to heaven, or the resurrection does not mean going to heaven and escaping death or having a glorious, noble, post-mortem, post-mortem, or post-death existence. But what it means is coming bodily 
alive again, bodily. God made Adam out of the dust, and he made him in his image. And forever, God will make man live forever, time without end, in a physical body. And that is our hope. That is our hope that someday this body, this, this body that I, I look at, it's not going to look anything like this. I, I hope to say in just a couple minutes what the Bible says about it. It's going to look similar to this. Similar enough to say there's a, there's a continuity of this body to the body that will be someday so that it will be recognizable that this is Daniel Katz and, and it will be you. There will be a recognized and how God made it in a glorious way. But anything that is imperfect, anything that is not of beauty, is not commendable, will be taken away and it will be completely, completely Glorious. So, what will our bodies be like? The Bible says that it will be, first of all, and we must, I must say this again because I want it to be drilled into our mind, it will be a body. It will be a physical body. It will be a body that has physicality to it. It's not just a spirit world where we're floating around as ghosts in heaven, on clouds, with hearts and crowns. That's not heaven. That is not the hope of a Christian. It is a physical body. And next week, we're going to talk about where we're going to live. We are going to live on a physical earth. Heaven isn't actually our final resting place. Earth is our final resting place. But it's going to be the new earth. And it's going to be, it's called the new heavens and new earth because God, who is in heaven, will come on earth in a renewed earth I think it's going to be some form of resurrected this earth. And we, every single thing that pleases us in any good way on this earth is but a little, little shadow of what we will enjoy forever. Every single pleasure that God created is meant to be like a a ray of sunlight with, with heaven someday will be the sun itself. And we will enjoy it with glory. It's a shadow now. We'll see the reality someday. We are meant to live for something much bigger and grander. But right now, we, but to understand that, we're going to enjoy it as bodies. God, God, meant, God, meant, God loves the body. He loves physical. There, is, there has been a myth that has come throughout the churches through Gnosticism and through Greek philosophy and other things, that the body is bad, the spirit is good, that is absolutely not the case. Jesus came in a body, he died as a body, he rose as a body, he actually said, come and feel it, I'm not a ghost, I'm not, I'm not a ghost, feel me, and they, but he was recognizable, see my hands, see the scars. In fact, they were afraid of him, he's shown in a glorious way when he was transfigured with Peter and John before his death, he they all were saw the presence of God and their faces were aglow. Okay, so what is this body going to be like? I said it's going to be bodily. It's going to be physical. It's not just, it's not ghostly. How will we be like him in glory? Would you, would you ponder this passage with me just for a minute? Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Pretty much the rest of this time it will be in just 1 Corinthians 15. Beginning in verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, Paul says this, But someone will ask, how are, 
the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Good question, right? That's what I'm asking. What, with what kind of body do they come? Paul says, you foolish person. I guess they're the bad questions. You foolish person. What, he's, he's, but he's saying, in a, he's like, think about it now. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. If I'm a farmer and I'm going to plant this corn seed, that seed has to die. And I'm not waiting for harvest season to come find a bunch of those corn seeds just laying around there and say, oh, that's my harvest. What I plant is not what's going to be. It's going to be something much greater than that little kernel, right? And so God is going, he says, your body is sown into the ground as a believer, as a bare kernel, perhaps a wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earth, earthly is of another there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for all stars different. And then I want you to skip down to well, and then verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about your family members who are in the grave. We're talking about those, us in this room who will someday die. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown into the ground is perishable. It is raised imperishable. What is sown into the ground is dishonor. What is raised is glory. What is sown is in weakness, is raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And then verse 49. Just as we have been born, the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, which is Jesus. This is glory. What I want you to see is, what will our body be like? Four things. It will be imperishable. It will be full of glory. It will be with power. And it will be a spiritual body. And it's all in those verses, verses 42 through 44. Our bodies will be raised imperishable. Someday, the bodies, in, the bodies of all believers in the Linden Cemetery will rise up. And in all the cemeteries of the world, and out of all the oceans, and out of the lands, and all spread out, God in His amazing miracle, He will take and He will do what we can't, just like He raised he raised Lazarus from the dead. Just as He created the world by the word of His power, He will speak and say, Rise. And all the perishable bodies will come together as an imperishable... What does imperishable mean? It's indestructible. It cannot die. It'll be perfect. It'll be immortal. It means that it will be perfect without disease or sickness never subject to any of those ever, ever again, completely healthy and strong forever. Our bodies, secondly, will be full, raised in glory. 
there is a strange but unique way in which the scriptures often talk about how we will shine like the sun. That, that imagery has to do with a we will be glorious and we will be beautiful because we will be made by the beautiful one. God, who made us in His image, in this short life, has allowed us to have deformities and pains and to not be perfect and not have a beautiful body. The most beautiful of body, bodies in this earth are nothing in compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. We will be raised in glory means we will be absolutely beautiful and attractive, and none of us will be filled with any envy. In fact, we will love the beauty of everybody else, Equally, we will delight it. We will feel no envy, no jealousy, but we will gaze completely upon Jesus and love it. We were meant for glory someday, and you know what the greatest glory will be? God's well done, good and faithful servant. It will be that joyful, humble, we love the praise of God, and we'll know that it was Him that made it in the first place. Our bodies, thirdly, are raised with power. We are full of weakness in this world. Weakness spiritually, weak physically. I know that some of you in this room have been afflicted by different conditions of great pain and weakness. Your body will someday be raised with complete power. That power will come from God Himself, the very one who raises the dead with fullness of strength and vigor, energy, You will be able to tackle all the things. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to talk about this next week. But we will be in a new heaven and new earth, and it's not going to be boring. God God made us to desire to do things and to be, be driven and to work and to conquer things. I believe that God will give us tasks, and we will go after them, and we will have perfect strength to accomplish those tasks. All that we... Every time we think we're going to get in, in this world, we feel like, okay, I'm getting my strength back. Now I'll be able to actually accomplish. And, and we have a dream of what would be perfect, what would be heaven on earth, and we can never get there. We will not only get there, but it will escalate and escalate and get better and better and will never fade away. In this earth, we dream about things, and when we receive them, they're a little bit of a disappointment. The, marriage, the person married to that person has an image of what a marriage, perfect marriage to that person would be like. And as wonderful as it is, it's still not what their mind might have made it out to be. And the same would be true of that memory as a child. Oh, I remember my home, and I remember this play, and I remember doing all these things. If only I could go back to that. I remembered how I felt. And you go back to that, and you can't recapture it. It's like a dream. It's a dream that God is causing us to long for something greater. Finally, Paul said it's a spiritual body in this passage. And when he says it's a spiritual body, don't think, oh, it's a ghost. It's a spirit. No, it's a spiritual body. It's a body generated by God's Spirit, just like Jesus is a spiritual body as He rose from the dead, What we find in the New Testament, Jesus rose from the dead, and he looked different. In fact, at times when he was walking on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize him. And then they looked closer and they recognized him. He was glorious in a different way. And so we are going to be raised a spiritual body. Yes, physical, but so different. There will not be one cell in our body that will be tainted with decay or futility. Everything about us 
will be glorious and perfect. And the human body is an amazing thing. So you look into it and you say, boy, wow, how did that happen? God, you're amazing how you make the body do what it does and how it works, how it recreates and heals itself. But God will take all sin away. He will take all death away. And he will make us a glorious spiritual body. There's a lot to say or to at least let our minds to imagine. The person that you've lost because of death, that believer that is with the Lord is not having this body yet, but is with the Lord. It says here, it says in actually 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that Jesus, that Paul said, I would actually like to be with the Lord if I died. Life was so painful for Paul. And he was longing to be with Jesus. But he says, my great hope is not to be unclothed and be without my body, but it's to be clothed with the heavenly home that God has for me. And that's my, that this body that he's longing for. Okay. Ultimately, 1 John 3, 1, 2 says, Love children. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know that when He does appear, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him as He is. And He will, just like He said to Lazarus in the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. He will raise all of His people, redeemed, and they will come out of their tombs. They will come out of their graves. They'll come out of the oceans. They'll come out and be glorious. Now, what difference does this make, or why is this important? First of all, Paul said, in this hope you were saved. So when we preach the gospel, we need to hear, God made us, and we rebelled, and we... and, and we sinned, but God God went to the cross on in His own body. He took all of his, our sins on the cross. He rose from the dead, and everyone who trusts in Him gets His reward and His what He has done for us. And He will someday raise us up that we may live with Him forever in the new heaven and earth. That's the gospel, and we believe it. It is meant for us as we start to think about, oh man. What if I? When, what about the time when the doctor does tell me I have cancer? What is it going to be like when the doctor does say this is going on in my life? What if I get when I do get that call and the doctor says we got to do a scan again? There is there is something that God has made in us, all of us, that will feel a fear, and yet we remember God has not destined us for wrath, but He has destined us to be raised with Him. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. Why is this important? I want to just give you a few things to think about. I, I hope, first of all, that just the truth of this sets your perspective differently. As you think about your own death, and you think of others' death, and as you think of the brevity of this world. First of all, to make us go, life is really short. Why am I living? Why am I investing all of my heart and research to this world as though heaven is now and that's all there is? But first, I want you to think about this. This should impact how we view our trials and our pain and our eventual death. Paul said it this way. 
we don't lose heart. Though our outward body is wasting away, our inward body, our inward man is being renewed day by day by the Spirit of God who is now at work in us. We have a first fruit. There's this, God said, okay, I'm going to just give you a little bit just so you can feel it and taste it. Here's a foretaste of heaven. Your, my Spirit's going to be in you, but it's just a little bit of a, a taste. My Spirit's there, but you're, you're going to still groan in this world. He says, Paul says, even though our outward man is wasting away, our inward being is being renewed for this light and momentary affliction is it is producing and preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There is something about living in this world where we go, God wants us to grow to say, this pain, and it's bad at times. Some of you know pain like I, I have never experienced that physical pain on your own body. Or you felt it with the grief of a loss of a loved one. Or a tearing away of a relationship. But Paul said, Paul who suffered more than anything said, this light momentary affliction is only light. You say, man, you're, Pastor, you'd be cruel if you came to me and said, it was your, my pain is light and it's momentary. Wouldn't be very sympathetic. It's only light and it's only momentary when you compare it to the glorious pleasure that God has for us and the glorious length that God has for us, which is forever. So this is meant to help us view our trials and our pain and our death and how we live our lives in our pleasures. So as we go around today and as you go today thinking of all the good things, enjoy the good things that God has given you. Enjoy them. Don't make an idol of them. But enjoy your marriage, enjoy your family, enjoy your kids, enjoy your health if you have them. This is not to say, oh, it's going to be taken away, I should, be, I should just not enjoy any of this. That's not receiving God's gift with thanksgiving. We thank God for that. But we go, but God, all that this is enjoyable, help me to store up to remember that it's just meant to be a, a shadow, a picture of the glory that's going to come. Never, I never, when I was dating and was at times distant with my wife from a distant location or engaged, did I take a picture of her and go, oh, this image, this picture, this is it. This is all I want. I got this picture. That's all I need. No, it was a reminder of something great. And so the pleasures and the glories of our physical body that we have are but just a picture. It's just an image. It's just something short of the real thing that's coming, the best that's coming. Heaven is for later, not now. Lay up treasures in heaven above. This is how we should view our pleasures. I like what Randy Elkhorn said in one of his books. He says, one of the greatest gifts we can give our children, parents, grandparents, one of the greatest gifts we can give our children and grandchildren is to teach them the doctrine of the resurrection and the new earth. The new earth we'll talk about next Sunday. They need to know they are made for a person and a place. Jesus is the person. Heaven is the place. Not a ghostly place, but God's central dwelling place, which he promises to relocate in the new earth. A man I met years ago told me, I love God, but the truth is I want to live with Jesus forever on this earth without all the sin and suffering. What he longed for is exactly what God has promised 
Don't try to get your children excited about becoming ghosts. They're not no more capable of wanting them than of developing an appetite for gravel. God has made us to be physical beings living in a physical universe, eating, drinking, playing, working, loving, laughing in God's glory. That's the promise of the resurrection. As he said, in an, as C.S. Lewis once said, there have been many times, there have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our own hearts we have ever desired anything else. The desires that come out of our heart are really just meant to be shadows, but we, we think they're the thing itself and they're not. Here's the last application before we go. How we view the fact that I'm in a, uh, that the God is going to raise bodies up again. He's going to raise them imperishable and with honor and glory. They are going to be glorious beings, so much so that we will need new eyes, we will need new senses to be able to see them, or else we would just we would we would be blinded by their glory, but we will be given something glorious. And they're going to be full of strength and they're going to be a spiritual body. It's going to be an amazing thing. That should impact how we view one another in this world. That should you, how you, husbands, you aren't just married to a woman. You are married to someone who will live forever and be glorified and be amazed by that. In fact, if she's a believer, she will be so gloriously beautiful like a goddess that you would, if, if you could be tempted to worship her someday, that she would be that beautiful if you saw her now. And hideous and pain and hell without Christ should sober us. We look at, we walk, we go through a mall, we go through a shopping store, we go through that. We're not just looking at people that are in our way. They're people that will live forever, one place or the other. They will be raised glorious or in punishment. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory said it this way. He said, it's, it may be possible for each of us to think too much about our own potential glory. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or deeply about his neighbors. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back daily. A load so heavily that humility can only carry it. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible and he used this phrase, gods and goddesses, not the real God, but to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as now you meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. He says there are no ordinary people out there. There's no ordinary person in this room. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, this galaxies, these are all mortal. Their life, is, their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it's immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. And that is what God has in store for those of those who trust in Him. And that we live not according to the flesh, but we live 
with the eyes on the things that are eternal. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that you've revealed to us. And I pray that your spirit would help us to see those things. For the things that are seen are eternal, but the things that are unseen are temporary. They're transient. God, I pray that we in this church would look at our neighbor. We would look at our family. We would look at those that are the most difficult to work with and deal with. Those that are or feel to us ordinary or plain or frustrating. Help us to see them through the eyes of what will be. I pray that our hope, our hope would be in you. Our hope would be the grand glory of what you will do. And I pray that you would help us, help those that are hurting, those that are suffering from chronic pain, chronic disease, chronic those that are struggling with deep and devastating losses. I pray for all of us as a church who are feeling the loss of our family, the Quadranos. I pray, God, that you would encourage us today. And lastly, Father, I pray for those that are in this room. And I pray they would hear this. That if they have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they would do so today. They would hope in Jesus alone to be their Savior. To give them the promise of this new life, this new resurrection. And it is theirs if they believe and trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Because Christ is risen, we are risen And one day we will be risen with Him forever.